Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. And hello, Matthew. It's great to see you again and nice to be back in Australia chatting to you. Hi, Alison, and welcome back to Australia. And I certainly look forward to hearing tales of your your trips and what other uh, investors overseas are thinking at the moment. Matthew, thank you. And I would be remiss in not mentioning before we kick off formally what a terrific Take 10 it was last week with our colleague Drew Cleesey. I thought that was a really interesting discussion on the movements we've been seeing in in the real yields. But I did want to go to this week's updates and news and We've had some terrible news, really, in relation to the outbreak of the conflict between Israel and and Hamas in the Gaza Strip over this weekend. And what I'm a little bit surprised about is just how sanguine the markets have been. You know, it is obviously a very big humanitarian crisis and one that could potentially escalate if, for example, Iran was to become involved. So with this lack of reaction, do you think the markets are missing something? Is there, there, surely there there could be a risk of a shock to inflation here? Yeah, well, your sentiment's correct, Alison. The markets have been pretty muted and not just on the the oil front and the risk for inflation but also in terms of reactions of you know of risk assets you know typically there are two channels through which middle east conflicts can impact global financial markets and one's through you know the so-called flight to safe haven assets and really there was maybe some small evidence of safe haven flows into us bonds there initially but that move is really muted and now, equities, in fact, have rallied since the weekend. The other transition mechanism, as you point out, through oil prices and going through to inflation. But as you say, after an initial rally, oil's basically retraced close to um, those uh, pre-conflict levels. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, we quite often talk about inflation on this podcast, and it is still a very important variable to watch, you know, a big determinant of what happens with interest rates on a forward-looking basis. And I referenced before the movements we've been seeing in the, in the bond yields of late. And in particular, I wanted to talk about the US CPI, a bit of a surprise, and we've seen some market movements. Just any colour on that from your perspective? Yeah, well, that's right, Alison. You know, it's sort of the opposite to what we're talking about with the uh, Israel-Palestinian um, war, where you saw, you know, very little market move. Here, we've seen quite sharp market movements overnight, given that, you know, unlike the Palestinian crisis, which was huge, you know, the miss on on headline inflation was really small, you know, it just, it was... 0.1% 0.1% higher on headline inflation than what expectations were. But core, for example, was in line with the expectation. But after a very muted initial market reaction, bonds resumed their sell-off just as it appeared that the Fed speakers who'd been very vocal during the week had successfully talked down yields as they sort of coordinated a very dovish tone amongst the various speakers. I must say, though, that it wasn't just the small miss on the CPI, I think, that was driving yields. There was also a very poor auction result, very low bids for 30-year treasuries. You know, that also caused uh, interest rates to go up, but it wasn't confined just to the long end of the yield curve. You know, the whole yield curve shifted up higher. And as Fed officials had sort of been saying, these movement higher of, of, of interest rates of the yield curve is actually doing the work of tightening financial conditions uh, for the Fed. And if it sticks, one thing that I, that will be an outcome, um, we're getting more and more sort of 
market reactions in this sort of vein, I think, over time, and that is one of the key cha- channels which financial tightening will occur is through an undermining of risk asset valuations. And in fact, we saw the rise in yields break the, the rally in equities that was induced by the Fed speaker's dovish policy pronouncements last night. So that rise in bond yields, um, which is proving you know difficult to snuff out, much more difficult than the Fed expected. If it continues, I'm pretty pretty confident you know it will spill over into quite a negative outcome for for equities. Matthew, it's really interesting. There's certainly a lot of movements in the bond markets, and it is, as you note, hasn't really made too much of a difference in the equities markets by and large, although you know it did reverse that trend from that latest move. So it's certainly an area to watch and something that you know could be, I agree. Um, a trigger to some downward movements and equities if we do see that 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 real stick. Matthew, I did want to talk to you about China and some interesting news that came out during this week. We talked in previous podcasts that you know the Chinese really couldn't pull out the old playbook and do the stimulus and do the building of infrastructure and buildings and all these sorts of things because it really wasn't in the position to do so. But the news that came out was suggesting there might be a reasonably material you know one trillion yuan infrastructure package coming out. Are you a little bit surprised about this? Well, I mean, just to put that number into perspective, if that were to go ahead, it would represent less than 1% of uh, China's GDP. And when you look back at history, that's not the size of fiscal stimulus that we typically associate with the China playbook, you know. So during the GFC, Ellison, for example, you know, China spent about 7% of GDP. And during Mm. their slowdown in 2015, we saw a stimulus package about 3% of GDP. Now, that sort of size of stimulus seemed to change in COVID. So in response to COVID, they did a stimulus package that was just under 1%. And then they reversed it out really sharply when they came out of, of COVID. And, you know, actually, uh, very unusually for China, government spending fell by 3% of GDP. Now, saying that they're not going to roll out the, the, the old playbook isn't quite the same as saying they're not going to cry and support the economy during a slowdown. But it's the size of that. And this is a less than 1% package. So it's I think it's consistent with the idea that what they're trying to do is avoid exacerbating as best they can um, the imbalances in the economy, both in terms of debt and the property market. But at the same time, they're not prepared to just allow the economy to drift into a deep recession. So there's still fiscal stimulus. It's just not the old fashioned type that just ignites a bomb underneath the economy, basically. Okay. Oh, very interesting, Matthew. That's really helpful. Matthew, thank you very much for joining us today. It's great to chat to you again. It's been a few weeks. And I'd also like to say thank you to our listeners for taking 10. Yeah, and great to have you back, Alison. See you next week.